Welcome to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast, where we share practical life hacks, shortcuts to help you make, manage, multiply your revenue and impact in the world. I'm your host, David Ubita. The Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast starts right now. Like I said, like I have enough trouble just keeping track of who I am without trying to be somebody else, right? But I, I, I send out one-minute sales tips to my sales to my clients every week and prospects, and about 1,500 people get these things. And one, I just taped uh, 12 of them this morning, and one of one of them I did was authenticity, how to be authentic. So when you're on a sales call with somebody, you need to be who you are. Um, you you can't pretend to be somebody else. You can't pretend to know more than you know. Uh, you can't pretend to have a background that you don't have. And I, too many salespeople go in and they, they try to present something else than what they actually are. I had a colleague who actually is in the same business I am, and I'd be in his office, and we, he's, he was a regular guy, right? We were just talking about stuff. And then I remember this one time in particular, the receptionist mentioned that his client was in the lobby. So I said, I was, I, I was going to go to the lobby anyway. I was heading to the men's room, and we walked around the corner. It was, it was Bob, you know, the guy that I was talking to. And as we turned the corner and he got into the sight of the client, he, it was a whole different person emerged. He was, you can see it was fake. They can see that it's fake. They can see that you don't know everything you're, 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 you're pretending to know. Hey guys, welcome back to the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is David Yubita. I am your host. Hey, if you're a first time listener, welcome to the podcast. And if you've joined us before, then consider yourself a fellow life hacker. Ha ha. So before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to take a few moments and say hello and a very special thank you to our U.S. listeners in California, Illinois, Texas, New Jersey, Colorado. Florida, North Carolina, Washington, Utah, Maryland, and Virginia. I'd also like to take a moment or two here to thank our international listeners in France, Sweden, the UK, the Netherlands, and Australia. Hey guys, in episode 34, we visit with Dan, the sales optimizer, Caramanico. Now, Dan's been hired by hundreds of companies in the past 32 years to optimize their sales teams with his award-winning system. Now, here are some of the life hacks that you'll find in this episode. Number one, how to communicate authentically on a sales call, how to easily discuss money during a sales call, and how to reframe limiting beliefs prior to a sales, uh, to a sales call. So, so much more content in this uh, interview with Dan, so stay tuned. But first... A message from our sponsor. Hey guys, if you're a B2B company that can handle 10 to 15 more quality appointments every single month, then go to davidubita.com today. Me and my team specialize in helping B2B companies generate quality appointments and increase sales with LinkedIn and email. The best part is we have a 30-day money-back guarantee if we can't help you. So if you're a B2B company and you can take on more quality appointments so that you can grow your business, then visit davidubeda.com today. That's D-A-V-I-D-U-B-E-D-A.com. So really quickly, Dan, first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And secondly, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of, uh, with the audience about what you do, um, and we'll take it from there. Okay. 
So what I do is, um, is Salesforce, sales development, Salesforce development, we call it. So I work with companies, um, primarily CEOs who are not happy with their level of sales, or maybe there's too much turnover in their Salesforce, or maybe the company's not growing fast enough, it's not scaling fast enough. So uh, I usually ask them why it, it, it's not uh, growing fast enough, and they generally don't really know. Sometimes they say they're not making enough. They're not making enough calls, or and then I. Right. And my next question is, well, why aren't they making enough calls? Right? Is it is it that they don't know how to do it? They don't know who to call, or or they have too many self-limiting beliefs, and they generally say, well, I don't know. So so then what we do is we assess uh, assess what that is. So uh, my original career was in engineering, and we we would always do a feasibility study before we launched into any big project. So I then we assess the tools, we find out what the people's sales DNA is, we find out what skills they have, what skills they don't, we find out what, what management's doing or not doing to, to help grow the company and, and I come back with a big report and say, okay, this, this is the issue. It's usually pretty clear once you see the data and then we, then we fix it. <laughs> okay, so, so we sometimes we have to hire new salespeople, sometimes we have to put new systems and processes in place, sometimes we train the people, sometimes it's all of that. So, and I, over your career, uh, you've been able to serve, uh, I think it's something like hundreds of, of clients over the years. Is that right? Yep. Yep. I've actually been doing it for 32 years. I never actually counted them all up, but it's it's definitely in the hundreds of, uh, of wow. different companies. Tell, tell our audience some of the companies that you've had the opportunity to work with. Uh, I remember during one conversation, you mentioned something about having high clearance. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I worked with people who had high clearance. I personally didn't. I had one when I was in the service. I was an officer in the Army, so I had a clearance. But I worked with Accenture. Uh, was probably the biggest, most well-known uh, company. People like Hankels and McCoy and, and uh, a little bit of work with, uh, like, Citizens Bank people and people like that. But, but most of the people, most of the companies, most of your people wouldn't have heard of. They're small to medium-sized businesses, anywhere from five million in sales up to 125 million in sales. But um, when I was working with Accenture, they had a group of people who called on the um, intelligence community of the United States government, like the CIA, FBI, and so forth. And um, so I was, I coached them in how to sell their services to those. Um, to those agencies. And the interesting thing is, since I didn't have a clearance, I wasn't allowed to know anything. <laughs> so my <laughs> colleagues who do what I do, they they can't even understand how you could do it. So it had to be fairly generic. I, I had this one person, Eric, I was working with, and I said, hey, one day I said to him, hey, Eric, you know, we've been working on this one deal for six months. And I talked to him literally every other week, coaching him on his interactions with the various uh, decision makers. And I said, you know, we've been doing this for six months, and I don't know who we're selling this to. I don't know exactly what it is we're, you know, this this problem is. I don't know how much it is. You know, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. He says, yeah, let's keep it that way. So that's uh, – <laughs> and, so, yeah, and he was able to close it? that deal. It was like a 10 or $12 million deal. He was able to close that deal, but I, I still don't know what it actually it, it was. It was during the um, – the Gulf War was at its height back at that, but the time I was doing that, so go um, figure. So it's interesting. Tell us about Wharton and your experience there. At Wharton? Yeah. Well, they personally they they tried to kill me while I was there. <laughs> uh, oh man! <laughs> I, How I so? The, 
I was one of the f- first classes to go through. They uh, back in the '80s, they came up with a, uh, you know, they, they were they they claim to be and uh, probably are the number one uh, business school in the country. And they came up with the idea. Most of the schools have this now. Uh, they called it the Wharton Executive MBA, where um, instead of going full time. You know, you quit your job and go to go to Wharton for two years and get a degree. You kept your job, but you went on weekends. Um, so I was at the time I was an engineer. I was running a, a hundred million dollar project uh, where I was the project manager. We were um, building a, a train station, and I was responsible for this building and, and the power system for the railroad. So, uh, you know, I was a full-time employee, and I and I had to do the two-year Wharton program in two calendar years. We went on weekends, all day Friday, all day Saturday, every other week. Mm-hmm. So we did the ex- – since they didn't want to dilute the brand, they they uh, made us do everything that the full-time MBAs did, every last requirement. We had the same syllabus, the same teachers. We covered everything in two years. The only difference is we went in the summers. So I was a full-time employee – uh, for, for an engineering company, I was a full-time uh, student at, at Wharton, and um, so they—they, they, I'm not saying they—they they just gave us so much work that, you know, I didn't see anybody for two years. I think the deal was if if you were still breathing at the end of two years, they gave you a degree. So <laughs> that was the measurement of success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at least so now what? I know how to read the Wall Street Journal. So hey, um, hey, that's always a plus, right? Yeah. So. Tell tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like to start your firm, uh, Caramanico, McGuire & Associates. Well, I wouldn't recommend this for anybody, but um, I was, I, as I mentioned, I was an engineer. I, I, I um, was vice president of finance administration and marketing, which is everything but doing the engineering and doing the sales. If it wasn't in one of those two departments, then I was in charge of it, mostly financial stuff and other stuff like that. But I, I wanted to be president of the company, and I, and I found out that I needed to have sales on my resume, so I volunteered to be demoted, go into the sales department, um, and I, I did that. And, uh, but after a, a year of in the sales department, I realized I had a problem that I couldn't cure. I, could, I couldn't get old enough fast enough. So, so I, I looked around for something else to do, so I went out, and, and uh, they wanted me to be 50. I was in my 30s, so I um, – I, I left and I, I bought a, a sales training franchise and I, only an engineer would figure based on one year of selling experience that you could now go out and teach people how to sell stuff. Um, and so really? I uh, so I did that. So I, I could basically only teach people who knew less than I did, which severely limited my you know my target audience. So we started out coaching individual salespeople. Uh, they got better. They referred me to other people and. And um, then we started using this evaluation tool, and we started working with smaller companies, and one thing led to another, and, you know, 32 years later, here I am. So it was it was pretty tough in the beginning. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just yeah. like with any business, it's yeah. a, there's always the growing pains and, you know, lead gen and all that stuff. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me about your sales approach and working with teams uh, across the country is the A word, authenticity. And it's one of the things that I've noticed about you that it's not just a principle you teach, but it really, you, you show up that way. And that's been my experience with you since day one. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit as relates to authentic, what authenticity is to you and then 
how that really how important that really is as it relates to someone uh, in a sales position. Well, like I said, like I have enough trouble just keeping track of who I am without trying to be somebody else, right? But I, I, I send out one minute sales tips to my sales to my clients every week and prospects, and about 1,500 people get these things. And one, I just taped uh, 12 of them this morning, and one, one of them I did was authenticity, how to be authentic. So when you're on a sales call with somebody, you need to be who you are. Um, you, you can't pretend to be somebody else. You can't pretend to know more than you know. Uh, you can't pretend to have a background that you don't have. And I, too many salespeople go in and they, they try to present something else than what they actually are. I had a colleague who actually is in the same business I am, and I'd be in his office, and, we, and he's, he was a regular guy, right? We were just talking about stuff. And then I remember this one time in particular, the receptionist mentioned that his client was in the lobby. So I said, I was... I, I was going to go through the lobby anyway. I was heading to the men's room, and we walked around the corner. It was, it was Bob, you know, uh, the guy that I was talking to. And as we turned the corner and he got into the sight of the client, he, it was a whole different person emerged. He was, you mm. could see it was fake. They can see that it's fake. They can see that you don't know everything you're, 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 you're pretending to know. Um, and so – and that, that – breaks the trust and trust is essential if you're going to be able to sell anything so that's why it's important plus it's much easier to just be who you are right and if you know, i had a, a rookie um real estate agent one time and he he felt like he needed to prove to this woman who was going to uh try to sell her house he had one a listing appointment he needed to show that he was busy so he this was back in the days of pagers right so he had a couple of his friends uh, page him during the time that he would be in the meeting, and so he was trying to make that make out that he had more background than he did, and and uh, and, uh, and coincidentally, a couple other people paged him while he was in that meeting, and so at the end, he didn't get the listing because the lady thought that he was too busy. In fact, he had no listings. So what I taught him to do was to say, listen, to go to go into the the woman and say, listen. Um, you know, if, if, is it important to you that uh, look? I, I, this is what I would tell them. I say, listen, the biggest problem I run into on a day-to-day basis is that that people are not, um, you know, they're not they're not comfortable with the fact that that I'm just new in the business. Is that do you think that's going to be a problem? And and of course, the woman would say, sure, I, I think it might be. He said, well, listen, uh, I can't I can't fool you into thinking that I've done more business, but I can tell you I'm going to be in this business for a long time. And I'm, you know, my goal in, in, in doing this transaction is that, that you're going to do such a good job that you're going to be my referral source. And I need referral sources. So your choice is do you want 100% of my time to try to, to – my efforts to sell your house? Or do you want 10 or 15% of somebody else's time to try to sell your house? And either one's okay with me. Just let me know what, what you'd like to do. And he had then said, you know what? That makes sense. Sure, I'll work with you, right? So he'd just be authentic. Now, some people would say, no, I'd rather have somebody that's been through this before, right? And, and that's what I mean by being authentic, right? In one case, he tried to be somebody he wasn't. In the other way, he tried to be somebody – he didn't try to be anything. He just explained in plain English what he, who he was and, and presented the option to the client and let her decide. So That's, that's really good. That's really good. I remember – uh, and again, with uh, part of the services that we provide uh, business owners, uh, we do have the option of cherry picking. And I think that's one of the best approaches 
that a business can take simply because you know that you can serve that prospect, uh, that client, and get them to the promised land, so to speak. I remember having a conversation with a client, a, a prospective client, and I told him from the moment we talked, and I said, I don't think that this particular service is going to do well on the platform, the LinkedIn platform that we use uh, for, for lead gen for clients. And the first thing he said to me was, thank you for being so honest with me instead of trying to sell me a service. And that, yep. that conversation went a long way with me and, and really set the tone for me to be conscious of being honest and authentic uh, with every single person uh, that I have uh, yeah. the blessing to be able to chat with, wouldn't you say? And, yeah, I agree. And here's another, another example of this. I mentioned that I did a lot of work with Accenture. And you might say, well, how the heck did you sell yourself into a company that big when you're so little? Right. And <laughs> it's pretty easy. Right. I was working with a company that was that was a small company that got bought by Accenture and I was the poison pill they swallowed when they bought them. But uh, so I had done a little piece of work with this business owner back when he was a three or four million dollar company, a, a little piece of work being a half a day program on how to do long cycle complex sales because they did uh, software development for military applications. Um, and so I worked with worked with this team for half a day, and he called me back uh, about three or four years later. And now he's in a um, his company is on the way from going from 22 to 33 million. He's been growing 50 percent a year. So when he starts to tell me that information, and I didn't know him really well, this person, but I said to him, I said that half day program I did for you really really worked, didn't it? And because that, that's sort of absurd, right? But. But, he, you know, so that's me. That's, uh, that, that was something I would say. And he laughed. He said, yeah, it was awesome, you know. And so I was like, I'm taking full credit for his growth. So then he starts telling me he's going to grow on 50% a year. And he, so he had, he had called up and had his, his assistant call up and asked me if I could coach salespeople. I asked enough questions. She said, listen, why don't I just set you up a meeting with Bill, <laughs> which is what I wanted, right? So I, I went and met with him. And he starts telling me this information. And I just said to him, so wait a minute. So you're growing fifty percent a year? He says, "Yeah." I said, "Well, well, what do you need me for?" <laughs> right? And he said, that, "Now that's that, that. You won't find that question anywhere in any sales book, right? Like, what do you need right. me for? That seems like an answer. But 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 that that's an authentic question. I mean, it's a, it's a question that should pop into anybody's mind in that situation. Why would you need me? And he said, "Well, because it's only growing because I have my hand on the sales." on the sales function, and I need to spend more time doing the CEO things. I said, oh, okay. Now, that might have been enough of a compelling reason for him to buy my service, but I, I didn't think – I felt I'd go a little further, and I just said, so what's the end game? He said, I want somebody to overpay me for this company. I said, okay. So then he started telling me, asking if I would coach his salespeople, and I said, I don't know because I don't know if they're coachable. Right. Maybe you have mules and you're trying to win the Kentucky Derby. I mean, I can train the heck out of them. They're going to be the greatest mules you've ever seen. And they're never going to win the Kentucky Derby. All right. So. So, so he he says, well, how well, are you going to know? Dan. <laughs> so he says, how are you going to know? I said, well, we have to t we have to assess them first. Now, let me find out what their DNA is. I mean, if you give me somebody six foot ten, they can run and jump and has good hand eye coordination. I could probably teach them to play basketball. Right. Give me somebody right, right. five foot three and can't walk and chew gum. I can't. I could train them all day long. They're not going to get in the NBA. So, um, 
so we did the assessment and, and so so be, me being authentic right with him uh and asking you know logical questions although you won't find them in sales books uh you know he, he said okay i can trust this guy and and uh um and 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 I and I I worked with him for over ten years, and to this day he's still he just 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 about a month ago he referred me to another business that he's invested in because he he sold his company and and now he has plenty of money to invest in other companies. So that is awesome, awesome. Now as we wrap up this conversation, Dan, I I wanted to ask you uh, to share with the audience um, as we've been talking about authenticity, so many different things have come to my mind. Uh, but let's say, and we've already talked a little bit about it, but just to, for the for the purpose of, of context and structure, what would you say to a company that is struggling with their sales um, and they say, you know, we have a great product, we have a great service, but just our team is just all over the place. Uh, what would be one thing that you would say to help a sales team kind of get on the same page? Uh, well, I mean, are you talking about what I tell the CEO before he hired me or after he hired me? <laughs> um, after he hires you. After he hires you. A lot of that would, would depend on the, on the assessment we would do. But let's, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a typical case. Typically, w w what we find is that, that some people just have too many self-limiting beliefs. So, for example, a self-limiting belief is just a firmly held conviction about the way things are. And so if you have a belief, you have, a, you have data, you have proof, you have evidence and experience, and if somebody doesn't share that belief, then they just don't get it. So there's a whole range of these beliefs that, that people have. And we find out that, uh, you know, that, that sales management is not doing anything to help the people overcome these beliefs because they don't have a – standardized sales process that they put people through. So these are some of the common things that we'll find. So, so, so what we have to do is first you know, understand what those beliefs are. So let me give you an example. My, one belief we, we find is that, uh, I'll give you two of them. One of them is that um, uh, they're uncomfortable talking about money. So what the, the result of that is you're going to end up with lots of, of uh, unqualified prospects in your pipeline because they don't talk about money. They, you know, they talk about what they need. Uh, and then we, they say, can you write me a proposal? You say, sure, I'll write you a proposal. You write a quote and then you chase them, chase them, chase them and nothing happens. Right. So, so that the result, you know, the, there's two, two causes of that. One is that their people could have a discomfort talking about money. And the other one is that their sales process doesn't include the step where you're actually going to talk about money. So they don't even have a defined sales process. And, and the third issue is that we find is that management doesn't know how to hold people accountable to follow the sales process. So the key, the key uh, skill of the sales manager is to hold people accountable to follow the sales process, right? And then when you do that, so for example, in this one element of the sales process is hold them accountable to talk about money. So you when you debrief the call, hey, hey David, did you talk about money? And and they say no. So I'm going to ask them why not, and they'll give you some excuse. They never say I was afraid to talk about it, right? But they give you some other excuse. So I hold them accountable to go back and talk. So you have well, the sales manager has to be smart enough or know enough. You don't have to be really brilliant to do this, right? Uh, you just have to know, was it a sales process failure? He just forgot to do that step or was it, 
a belief system issue in that he, he's uncomfortable talking about money, or is it some combination of both? And so once that pops its head up, you need to know how to coach them to go back and ask that question, and you need to make sure that they're coached in how to, in how to um, do it in the future, and you need to know how to coach them in how to overcome the, the money weakness. So it's that – I know this is a more complicated answer than you were looking for, but, but that's usually well, some combination of that, and there's multiple – belief systems are in, in the way, and there's multiple steps in the sales process. And I don't want to make it more complicated than it is, because there's not much. Selling is not very complicated. I mean, if I put you in a room on Monday morning by Tuesday afternoon, I'm running out of stuff to tell you without repeating myself. Look, if selling was as complicated as engineering, right, given the people that actually do selling, you know, nobody goes to school to learn how to sell. They end up in sales because they didn't have a degree that would have let them do anything else. They failed out of engineering school, and they didn't like doing accounting, so... They end up in the, with an art history degree and end up in sales, right? So if, if it was really complicated, we'd have the economy of Ethiopia, right? Uh, wow. So it can't be that complicated. It's simple. It's not easy because engineering is complicated but easy, right? If you have the right training, it's easy because there's no rejection involved. Nobody ever says, yo, I'm being rejected by odd numbers today. You know, this is a tough day for an engineer, right? That, that's silly. They just go in and crank out numbers. It's, it's pretty easy. Sales is, a, is, is simple, but it's hard, right? Because, I mean, you got to do a lot of things your mother never told, told you never to do, right? I mean, when you were growing up, David, how many times did your mother tell you, you know, maybe she didn't. Maybe she told you to go play in traffic. I don't know. But but most people, <laughs> they, their mother says. <laughs> they, most they, of the they, time, yes. <laughs> yes. They, what did they tell you? They, they, they tell you things like stay out of the street or, you know, don't hit the road. Now we tell them to go hit the road, right? The, we, the other thing we tell them is don't talk to strangers, right? Right. And now you go in and get a job as a salesperson. What do they tell you? We need you to talk to 20 strangers this week, okay? And yeah. you wonder why you go home with a headache, right? And and and, uh, and so so it it it's 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 a, it's a simple concept, and it doesn't take long to actually learn the theory of it. It it it's and the you know the, the salespeople who are the most successful are ones who are willing to put the energy in to overcome those weaknesses that hold them back, like the money weakness. Love it. Well, Dan, I, I've loved our time here on the podcast. Uh, where can our audience get a hold of you? Uh, website, social media? Uh, our website is, uh, we have, actually have two of them. One is called caramanico.com. That's C-A-R-A-M-A-N-I-C-O.com. I'll put a plug in for David. He built the website, so I think it's really, <laughs> I've got a lot of compliments on it. Uh, <laughs> good, good, good. Our, our team and, worked hard and, on it. And the other one, uh, place they can get me is on OptimalSalesPerson.com. And then that's, that's the place where we house all these uh, one-minute sales tips. Uh, so you can go to either place and get a sample of the sales tip, and you can, and you can sign up for it. So that's the easiest, uh, easiest place. And, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, Dan, thanks again for joining us here on the podcast, Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. 
Hey guys, if you're a B2B company that can handle 10 to 15 more quality appointments every single month, then go to davidubita.com today. Me and my team specialize in helping B2B companies generate quality appointments and increase sales with LinkedIn and email. The best part is we have a 30-day money-back guarantee if we can't help you. So if you're a B2B company and you can take on more quality appointments so that you can grow your business, then visit davidubeda.com today. That's D-A-V-I-D-U-B-E-D-A.com. Life hackers. Hey, just wanted to take a quick message to thank you for your continued support. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us on many occasions, I want to personally thank you because we do this to support entrepreneurs just like you you. Hey guys, please take 60 seconds today to visit iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. This will help us grow organically and inspire more entrepreneurs just like you. Now, while you're there, please leave us a review and I promise to read each and every comment and apply your suggestions as we continue to improve our show. Also, if you like free stuff, then make sure to like our official Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs fan page for upcoming guest information and free giveaways. Guys, this is David Ubita, your host of the Life Hacks for Entrepreneurs podcast. Until next time, continue to grind, grow, and give.